This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. Holistic and specialized care for children with Down syndrome at Children's Hospital Oakland, also known as BCHO and Renee Howard, who will be joining her and following her, uh, talking about skin problems with Down syndrome. So, welcome, Dr. Spinazzi. Good morning. Um, I will be your energy producer this morning. Um, I think it's fitting that I get to talk about Down syndrome as the first talk of the morning. Yesterday, we started with war, and I always say that if we all had Down syndrome, I doubt we'd have wars um, in our world, Um, so we'll be switching gears a little bit. Um, I have nothing to disclose other than my incredible passion for this topic that you should hopefully feel throughout this talk. Um, We have a few learning objectives. I'd like to start by just uh, discussing why we should have specialized clinic when it comes to children with complex healthcare needs. Um, And then I'd like to tell you what we do at our specialized Down syndrome clinic. Um, And then uh, I'd like to focus on a few issues um, that uh, we've taken up at Charlie's Clinic um, uh, as specialized projects that I think warrant more attention that they're currently given. Um, And that's the same thing in different words. Um, So um, a study in 2014 uh, by Cohen and all uh, showed that in the United States, 5% of patients are responsible for half of our healthcare costs. And uh, they described six different uh, subpopulation of patients who drive uh, this high Uh, need, and one of them is children with complex needs, um, which is described as a severe impairment in at least four categories, including learning and mental functions, communication, motor skills, and self-care, as well as a need in at least um, two categories in terms of um, Uh, enteral or parental feeding, ventilatory support, um, really the need for uh, uh, more than a couple couple subspecialists that are involved long-term in the child's care. When I went to a talk on complex healthcare needs given by Dr. Antonelli from uh, Boston, uh, I think he's at MGH or Boston Children's, he showed this healthcare map. And this, is, uh, this feels so overwhelming, and it is. Um, and it is an example of the healthcare map uh, for a child with complex healthcare needs. And it shows how there's certainly doctor, the doctor and the doctors, so um, subspecialists, as well as therapists, as well as school, as well as other potential involvement, social work-related, legal-related, financial-related. And one can see how completely overwhelming and largely confusing this can feel, especially um, to a family that... Um, doesn't have prior experience uh, uh, in taking care of a child with complex healthcare needs, which is the majority of uh, families. Um, so this is a study um, uh, from 
Figueroa and all, um, uh, also uh, published recently, it's from 2018, uh, that discussed uh, features of successful care models in high-needs patients, um, and it highlights four um, areas. Focus on service settings, uh, uh, tailoring the service uh, uh, to a specific population with a set of needs. Care model attributes, uh, uh, specifically matching uh, the uh, needs of the um, child uh, with practices that understand the full spectrum of the patient needs. Care delivery features, which include extensive outreach mechanisms to patients' communities and home, and overall organizational cultures that can adapt and customize care based on the changing needs of the patient. And uh, at Charlie's Clinic, we take these four core principles to heart. So how does this apply to individuals with Down syndrome? Uh, there's approximately 250,000 individuals with Down syndrome in the United States as of this la latest study from 2012. And uh, as many of us know, they're predisposed to a number of medical conditions. And thankfully, over the years, both the American Academy of Pediatrics and the Down Syndrome Medical Interest Group have put their heads together to develop healthcare guidelines that can help us tailor our care to the individual needs and commonly occurring conditions for individuals with Down Syndrome. However, even with these beautiful documents that tell us exactly what to do, there are a lot of challenges for all primary care doctors uh, to coordinate this comprehensive medical care. Starting with, let's be real, the 15-minute visit. It's just not possible um, to address all medical and developmental concerns. It's a utopic uh, belief that we can do it and do it well. Uh, there's evolving knowledge and recommendations. I subscribe on Google Alerts um, to articles that come out uh, on Down syndrome, and I get an email every day with about 10 articles um, that have to do with Down syndrome. And not all of them are clinically relevant to me, but that's still a lot of knowledge to keep up with um, for just one of a myriad of genetic conditions that we heard all about yesterday from Dr. Curry. And then most pediatricians have only a couple of patients with Down syndrome, so there's limited comparison. And if medicine is all about pattern recognition um, and recognizing what deviates from the patterns, that if your N is small, then it's going to be harder to notice those differences. I spoke about the guidelines, so these are freely available online. They're published by the American Academy of Pediatrics about every 10 years, and it's a summary of best practice guidelines. I, this talk is about Charlie's Clinic, and yet I feel that you should all know about these guidelines. I won't be spending any time talking about them. However, I put a summary of the guidelines at the end of this talk, and they're on your syllabus. Um, and these guidelines are updated about every 10 years, and the groups are meeting um, starting at DISMIC this year in June um, uh, to update these guidelines. Dr. Marilyn Bull um, is uh, the most prominent uh, doctor known for these guidelines, but there's many others that are contributing. Um, 
So this was a study by Brian Scottco and his team at MGH. Speaking of big researchers on Down syndrome, follow Dr. Brian Scottco if you like kids with Down syndrome. He is driving the research and the knowledge in this field. And uh, they looked at um, their patients coming into this big Down syndrome clinic at MGH. And what they saw is that coming in, only 16.7% of patients were actually up to date with guidelines. And again, this is no fault to their doctors. This is incredibly overwhelming to keep up with. And then if you look at DISMIC guidelines, which are a little bit more intense than the AAP guidelines, only 9.8% were meeting those guidelines as well. Um, another study by Ferguson and all uh, in Oklahoma and Nebraska, uh, uh, less than 15% of individuals were found to be up to date on thyroid screening guidelines. And this is huge because the incidence of thyroid problems in individuals with Down syndrome is really high. And especially in children, especially in young children, missing hypothyroidism is huge. I have a patient that I now follow who was transferred from another clinic, and when I met her, her TSH was 400. And it's been gone unrecognized for a really long time and it was probably causing her headaches and she poked her eyes so much that she's now blind and she has cretinism too and this is something that was completely preventable had it only been recognized. Um, a study from Jensen et al. Less than 50% of adults followed at U Michigan were evaluated for sleep apnea, atlantoaxial instability, hearing loss, and vision loss. Uh, all important healthcare conditions to keep in mind in individuals with Down syndrome. So what I'm trying to point out is there's a need for Down syndrome clinics, and I hope I'm starting to convince you of this. So cue in Dr. Bert Lubin, uh, my hero, also Santa. Um, and uh, Dr. Lubin has a son with Down syndrome, and I can tell you that because he'll tell you that. Um, and uh, his... Uh, dream uh, for his whole career was to have a Down syndrome clinic at Children's Oakland. And here comes this loud, boisterous, young, 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 out of residency doctor who doesn't know anything but wants to do something. Um, and uh, he provided the angel funding to get this started and uh, the ongoing moral <laughs> support as well as uh, academic guidance uh, to make this happen. So what is Charlie's Clinic? Uh, Charlie's Clinic is a multidisciplinary effort. Uh, I am the physician for Down Syndrome Clinic. Uh, in the audience today is Mary Beth Finch, uh, who's our infant development specialist. Her time is covered by a grant. And uh, uh, I cannot say enough about what an incredible thought partner and teacher she's been to me. So thank her if you see her today. Um, Leticia Gomez has just joined us. She's our social worker, also covered through a grant. She's bilingual. Um, and uh, she's uh, starting to help us a lot uh, with what are the incredible social needs of our families. And then, and this is what I'm most proud of, Annika Miller, who's our intern, and she has Down syndrome, and I'll talk a, a little bit more about her, as well as Chanel Brisbane, her best buddy's job coach. What do we do at Charlie's Clinic? We do a lot. Um, we uh, provide a comprehensive review of each child's physical and mental health. Um, we uh, compare what has been done with the AAP guidelines and provide recommendations on how to catch up. And we potentially identify unrecognized conditions, and I would say that that happens in the majority of visits. It's rare for us to say, you're doing a great job, keep it up, uh, without having any homework <laughs> to give to families and the providers. Um, we focus a lot on development uh, with a 
giant focus on independence with activities of daily living. Unlike other clinics, we don't yet have the formal PT evaluation, OT evaluation, speech evaluation, and certainly that's a dream uh, to have those formal evaluations, but I think that there's also an advantage, an advantage to having this be more of a conversation because it gives us a chance to give advice in the moment and give feedback in the moment about where the child is. I steer away from any table that tells families where, when their child is supposed to sit or crawl or stand because the truth is development is individual and uh, I focus more on the quality of the milestones rather than the timing of it. Um, we talk a whole bunch about independence because independent children are independent adults who work and live independently hopefully. Um, we provide developmental resources, be it handouts, uh, apps, uh, websites, uh, guidance on how to create visual task analysis. Um, we often, almost all the time, reach out to regional center case managers, schools, uh, and other uh, providers who are interacting with our uh, families. We screen for a dual diagnosis of Down syndrome and autism, and I'll spend a few slides talking about why that's important. Um, we talk about behavioral concerns if there are any and give guidance to families about how to address them and when appropriate refer for more intensive behavioral support. Oftentimes we also breach, uh, the, uh, broach the conversation of medication um, which uh, in, for some families has already been on their minds uh, and for other families uh, is a really new conversation to grapple with. Whenever possible, we look at the IEP, and whenever possible, and I get really excited about when I get them, we look at the triennials, because there's so much data and information out there about our children, and what's missing is someone looking at all of it together to get this whole child picture of um, what's going on. Um, and then we, we uh, do a lot of community building and uh, um, including warm handoffs uh, to other providers. Uh, we put on a lot of trainings and I'll uh, talk about that uh, and we create community. So we've been around for two and a half years <laughs> but we've already given a lot of trainings um, and uh, I just put them all up here to just show the diversity of the training. So some of them have been grand rounds at our hospital, some of them have been medical student lectures, some of them have been lectures to residents in family medicine practices or other pediatric practices around the area. Uh, some of them have been community trainings available to um, not just doctors, but also nurses, nurse practitioners, social workers, therapists, um, and then uh, parent trainings as well, both through our local Down syndrome support organizations as well as help us. Um, so we're trying to get the information out in as diverse um, ways as possible. Uh, so far, we've done trainings on supporting communication in children with Down syndrome, talking about puberty. I'll be giving a talk on puberty in Spanish in June at the National Down Syndrome Congress. Wish me luck. That's not my primary language. Um, <laughs> um, we uh, talk about primary care. We talk... Uh, uh, We've given talks about the trauma-informed care of children with special needs, something I don't think we spend as much time thinking about, but just the trauma that comes with learning that your child will have special needs, and most importantly, the trauma that comes with interfacing with all the service providers, uh, because while everybody who's sitting in this room does the conversation right, what we know for a fact is that not everybody out there um, uses respectful language uh, when uh, talking about our kids. And then, as of today, we're going to be talking about the skin, too. 
Um, and if you haven't guessed it from my way of talking, I'm a pretty excited person. And so when we find a problem, um, I have a saying no deficiency. Um, so I, uh, we immediately take it up as a project. And there's been a few um, issues that we've kind of taken up as area, important areas. Um, one is a communication toolkit project. Uh, so developing tools to help families support their children's communication development a transition toolkit proj uh, project uh, uh, to develop trans uh, Down syndrome specific transition tools uh, for our teens transitioning to adult care. A Down syndrome autism dual diagnosis project, uh, um, which is actually a multi-center effort uh, that's uh, both uh, research-based as well as uh, recommendation-based. And then just a lot of advocacy about ABA. And uh, uh, as many of you may know, as of July 1st, 2018, ABA is now uh, a benefit that's available to children who don't have an autism diagnosis as long as they have Medi-Cal. And hopefully that will um, ripple onto private insurance. Um, but we don't have providers, right? The wait time is 9 to 12 months, and that's absurd, and that's illegal, and that's against uh, our... Um, entitlements, federal entitlements, and so um, we've been working really hard um, uh, to change this. Which is why I asked that question yesterday about um, re uh, increasing rates for regional centers, for example, because until we increase funding for um, these services, then we're going to be stuck with the scarcity of providers who can't move to the Bay Area to provide services. A word about the communication project. Um, this is the love of my life. Um, uh, the boy and the communication. I'm a big talker. Uh, um, so words certainly help us verbalize our needs, our interests, our emotions, our knowledge about the world. But it doesn't stop there. We don't just use words to talk to each other. We also use words to think, to learn, to memorize. Uh, for executive function, right? Today, when I was really nervous, I was like, all right, Noemi, you gotta chill out, you gotta chill out, you can't just freak out. Um, so, right, behavioral regulation, you cannot hit your chest like this, people are looking at you. Um, so we need, we need words for a lot of things. Um, and in our children with Down syndrome, verbal communication will be delayed. I describe it as trying to talk with a big s'mores marshmallow in your mouth, right? Big tongue, small oral cavity, low tone, real hard but the desire to communicate won't be delayed, and that's so frustrating, right? We, we worry so much about individuals with locked-in syndrome, but um, how, is, how different is wanting to say something and not having the tools to do it? And um, the regional center of the East Bay, which is the main regional center I interact with, uh, um, uh, will look at language ongoing through the, uh, the IFSPs and, uh, you know, the... Uh, regular evaluations, but won't uh, be able to do a speech evaluation until the child is 18 months because that's when it's thought that kids can start really being delayed uh, for speech. And so speech therapy services specifically won't be put in place at least until 18 months. Often later, because it's the same issue as ABA, there aren't enough providers, and that's no fault to the regional center. They're underfunded. Um, but it's just the way it is. And uh, when it comes to speech therapy through insurance, the wait time right now is one to three years. And that's just wrong. So 
Um, uh, we've been uh, working on a communication collaborative with a couple of speech therapists in our area, Bettina Larude, um, who has worked with individuals with Down syndrome for more than 20 years, even though she looks like she's 30. Um, and uh, has done research, uh, she's bilingual. Um, Susie Schoenberg, who works uh, in one of our local school districts as an AAC specialist, uh, augmentative uh, um, communication, alternative communication, but she's also you know, a speech therapist and um, has an invaluable experience. And then Raquel Ramos, who's a, a nurse here at UCSF, and uh, volunteers her time to us, and um, she's just incredible. Um, and uh, um, our vision is based on science. Uh, it's based on evidence that being exposed to sign and uh, um, picture exchange communication system enhances total communication and communication efficacy and also speeds up verbal language acquisition. It leads to having longer sentences and a larger vocabulary, um, uh, and, and as well as regulates behavior. Um, so our goal is to create um, toolkits that we can hand to families that include signs in batches, right? Because what I have found is that when I go and tell families, start learning some sign, that feels real overwhelming. Go and learn a new language. Go ahead um, as you're juggling all the other things. But if you say, learn five signs for me before the next time we see each other, and those five signs have been thought of as the right five signs for your level right now, and then when you come back and you've learned these five signs, and if you haven't learned them by the next time, no problem, right? We'll keep working, we'll keep doing this. Then I'll give you five more signs, and then I'll give you five more signs. And then all of a sudden I feel real efficacious in, in using sign. And uh, um, the love of my life that I showed you earlier is uh, the prime example of someone, if once someone evaluated him just on his verbal language, uh, would appear to be profoundly, profoundly delayed. But when you take into account his signs, all of a sudden he's doing much better than, than one would have previously thought. I want to spend a couple of minutes on the dual diagnosis of Down syndrome and autism spectrum uh, because it's really common. And it used to be thought up until the 80s that kids with Down syndrome couldn't have autism, right? They're so friendly. Um, however, it turns out that Down syndrome is a genetic risk factor for having autism and rates of autism in individuals with Down syndrome are higher than those in the general population. At least 10% of individuals with Down syndrome also have an autism diagnosis. Some other studies suggest a much higher incidence. Um, and uh, it's a challenging diagnosis. There is diagnostic overshadowing. Are you stimming because you have Down syndrome or are you stimming because you're autistic too? Are you verbally, are you language delayed because you have Down syndrome and we expect it of you? Um, or do you also have autism? Are you really, really sick because you have a G-tube and a trach and all of these other things going on? Um, and, and that's really um, obscuring, obfuscating the developmental picture. Um, but recognition is imperative. Uh, when you talk to the Down syndrome autism connection, they'll tell you you've got to treat the autism before you start talking about supporting Down syndrome. So what is the profile of someone with a dual diagnosis? Markedly, there's a lack of joint attention. And if you know kids with Down syndrome, then you know that they want to know what you're up to, right? Like, what's going on? What's going on? I want to be in your business. Um, and that's missing often in, uh, in kids with a dual diagnosis, but not missing completely, right? They might come and look at what you're doing and then be incredibly happy doing their own thing for the rest of the time. 
um, and the, the majority of their play is more self-directed. Um, I'll be over here playing my favorite game, you do your thing, I might look at you and check you out, but mostly I'll be doing my thing. Um, lack of nonverbal communication, so that's why I love sign, right? Because uh, um, when I am following families and I ask them, what new words have you learned? What about new signs? What about new gestures? How is your child indicating this and that? What's often, what often emerges as kids are growing is that rather than, you know, at least pointing, shrugging, you know, doing all kinds of Italian gesture, hand movements to express themselves, um, there, there seems to be a, less of a communicative drive. Um, and it doesn't mean that they don't want to communicate, but that's all, of, that's autism in a nutshell, right? <laughs> saying a lot without saying anything. That's what I'm talking about when I'm talking about kids with Down syndrome without autism. Um, a lot of sens sensory issues, and all of our kids can have sensory issues, but they're really prominent in our kids with dual diagnosis, especially around food, clothing, diapers, um, textures of terrain. Some kids are more hypoactive, some kids are more hyperactive. Um, they'll look at you in the eyes for a minute and then, you know, they'll go back to looking at whatever they're looking. There's less of that communicative eye contact. It's more like, are you still there? All right, cool. Still there? Okay, okay cool. Um, motor mannerisms, again, stimming, I call it the Kardashians of developmental disabilities, right? You come home, you don't want to think about anything, so you turn on trash TV and you just watch it, right? And how is that different from rocking or flapping, right? It's about the same thing. But if someone would rather do this than engage in anything else, and they don't do this just for a minute when they're tired, but they do it as their favorite thing to do, then I start to get more concerned about a dual diagnosis. But here's the kicker. The sociability is often retained. And that's what I see in a lot of my kids with a dual diagnosis is that I walk in the room and they're like, oh, and they come and hug you. And then they go and do their own thing, right? And they're still loving. And that thing that we, the moms of kids with autism alone feel they struggle with a lot more is that lack of effusive uh, demonstrations. Um, is often retained in our kids with Down syndrome, and I think that that's real tricky. So we look for all of these things, and when we suspect a dual diagnosis, we don't have the um, staff to do an ADOS or an ADIR uh, or a social-emotional questionnaire or an aberrant behavior checklist right in our clinic, uh, but we do refer out um, or recommend an evaluation. And we focus on the idea that this doesn't change anything about who your kid is, it just informs us on how to best educate your child. Um, there's clearly disparities in access to health care transitions in individuals with Down syndrome as published uh, uh, by this group in 2018. Um, their individuals with Down syndrome are less likely to be encouraged to take ownership of their own care than other individuals with special health care needs. Um, and, uh, um, after adjusting for all kinds of other factors, adolescents with Down syndrome had four times the odd of not meeting the transition core outcomes. Um, and especially, again, not being encouraged to take responsibility of their own care. 
Um, so that's another project of ours, um, is developing a transition toolkit that focuses on healthcare transition. And we want it to be specific because of a lot of the families that we serve uh, don't speak English as a first language or are uh, socioeconomically underserved as well. And it feels really overwhelming to go and say, go find a doctor who likes individuals with uh, developmental disabilities. It feels a lot more empowering to say, call these clinics and ask for these doctors. And that's the research that we're trying to do is who in our community is good at doing this kind of work. Also, as a side note, all those trainings to medical students, et cetera, is to get them really excited about adult care of individuals with Down syndrome. Um, but also other aspects besides healthcare, like legal decision making, um, who can help you get power of attorney, guardianship, limited conservatorship, or conservatorship if someone really needs full cons uh, to be fully conserved. Financial planning, having an, a child with a, a disability is expensive. Um, uh, ABLE accounts are finally available in California. We tell all our families about ABLE accounts, special need trusts, um, SSI. Everybody gets denied for SSI the first time around. We encourage families to appeal and reapply. Um, we look at the IEP and encourage ITPs. In California, the law says you must start talking about transition at 16, but there's no word that says that we cannot start talking about this sooner, and we encourage families to do so. Um, nothing about us without us. Um, so I told you I'd talk a little bit more about Annika. Um, she is employed through a Global Down Syndrome Foundation grant, and this is in partnership with the Down Syndrome Connection of the Bay Area. Job coaching is provided by Best Buddies. It feels, I always feel like I'm an octopus that's like grabbing people and bringing them together to me so that we can do this work together. I call our clinic Strength in Numbers, and I hope the Warriors hear this in Pundas. Um, <laughs> Um, uh, she makes folders for all of our families with important information. She's our laminating queen and has other clerical duties. And she actually brings the folders to the families at the end of uh, the appointments. And I always comment on how amazing it is that in, in, inevitably, the child with Down syndrome makes a beeline to Annika and hugs her. And it's like, incredible. Um, and we also build community. Again, strength in numbers. Um, we have had... Uh, we have had our third annual holiday party this year, and we make it bigger every year. Um, and this could not happen uh, without the, the UC Berkeley uh, volunteers that we work with. They actually created a Down Syndrome group on campus, and next Thursday on World Down Syndrome Day, they'll be handing out stickers. One of my first volunteers is in the audience today, and uh, it's just so incredible to see uh, uh, people get inspired about serving individuals with disabilities. Um, and they also do a whole lot of work. Um, we connect families. I always ask families, is it okay if I connect you with another family um, so that you can give them support? Um, and all families inevitably say, yes, please, please, I want to help. Um, we're going to have our first annual Spring Fling in a collaboration with the East Bay Regional Parks on May 4th. Um, it's going to be superhero themed and there's going to be incredible things. Um, and uh, starting in April, we're going to have monthly developmental groups uh, in collaboration with the Down Syndrome Connection of the Bay Area. Um, we cannot do this uh, just by ourselves as doctors. 
formal shout out to the Down Syndrome Connection of the Bay Area. Stop by their desk uh, if you have a chance today. Uh, they're outstanding. Uh, the Silicon Valley Down Syndrome Network as we are expanding, serving kids uh, all the way from Fresno to Humboldt. We have to also expand our support network uh, relationships um, and they've also been incredible in supporting our efforts. If you have a child that you want to refer, um, um, some referrals comes from birth hospitals. Uh, I, uh, it's a mixed model of primary care and consultative services. So I'm the primary care uh, physician for about 60 kids with Down syndrome, and then we provide consultative services so far for about 60 more kids. Um, so we've grown a lot in two and a half years. Um, and. Uh, because I'm a pediatrician taking a PMD, taking consults for other primary care doctors, insurances, minds are blown, and so sometimes we do get a little bit of pushback, but there's a really exciting movement so that soon we'll also be in the genetics department at UCSF and able to take more patients. And this is my plea to you. If you wanna work with me, I wanna work with you. If you wanna help, I want your help. I never say no to help. Um, contact me and we'll take questions after the next talk, which is me again. <laughs> You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.